you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. week and visiting some friends and a church in Airdrie. Um, Venue Church is a church plant that uh, we have several families that we know there. And uh, during COVID, they actually bought a building, renovated, you know, fixed it up, built it and, and are moving strong. And so we were unable to make it to their dedication, but we thought last weekend we would just visit and see the building. And uh, today at Venue Church in Airdrie, uh, 40 people are getting baptized this morning. So like, it's like, whoo, like, yeah. So praise God. And that's really exciting. Some people, like one couple that we've known for 15 years, uh, we've known the, the boy since he was a teenager and always, you know, kind of, you know, he was a nice kid, but he just never seemed to take that step. And so excited that, you know, he, they came to us and said, yeah, we're getting baptized this next weekend. And so uh, husband and wife together, it's really exciting. So don't ever give up on anyone. All right, just understand, like, God works, he doesn't stop, and so that's where we were last week. Thanks to Pastor Elijah and, um, and Danelda and the team, all you volunteers that carry the, this is the church, it's not, it's not us, it's everyone together doing their part, and so I'm, I'm thankful for, for the team here, even this morning, just all the parts that fall together, downstairs, upstairs, I come here, and Henry's making coffee. Everyone's doing their piece, and that's just the beauty of the church. People have brought food, and those of you who will continue to do that, thank you for just contributing. Everyone has a part here. But the big question is, what's next? How do you follow up the resurrection? Like, it doesn't get any bigger than that, more substantive than that. I mean, you know, a, a, a person is brutally executed. He's hastily buried, and three days later, he disappears, and he's risen from the grave. And, and like, how do you follow up that type of story? Luke concludes his gospel with this resurrection account, and now he's writing in, in the book of Acts a second account, a, a, a sequel. And, and you know with movies, usually the sequel's not as good as the first one, right? And with the odd exception, but, and sometimes it's like, quit making sequels, they're just, you know, stop that, you know, but, you know, but not with the Bible. So how, okay, Luke, how do you follow up? The resurrection, what's next? And Luke says, the story continues. It's not over. It's an ongoing story. 
And what you're going to discover with me this morning as we look at the book of Acts, the first century document, the second big compilation that Luke sends to this man named Theophilus explaining the movement of Christianity and the person of Jesus Christ, is that the story continues and that you and I are part of this story. This is not a detached historical account. What starts in the book of Acts is continuing in this room and all across the world in you know, in, in multiple fashions, different languages, different expressions, the movement of Christianity, the movement of the followers of Jesus Christ continues. The story moves on. And that story, if you believe in Jesus Christ, is your story. And if it's not your story, I hope by the end of this sermon that it will be your story. That you personally will believe in Jesus Christ and take that step and follow and discover a whole new kingdom of living centered around Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, I have that on the screen, but you can also follow if you have your Bibles or your phone or your tablet, whatever you use. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we'll just stop there. He's like, you remember that gospel? We call it the gospel of Luke, right? I mean, all these things Jesus is doing, and he's also teaching at the same time, but, but, but he's, his actions reinforce what he's teaching. He'll talk about love and mercy, and then he'll do loving and merciful things. He talks about grace, and then he, he does gracious things. He talks about righteousness, and, and then his life is an exe- exemplifies righteousness. Do and teach. And in verse 2 it says, Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that's what the video you just saw. Luke just gives a little summary. Okay, just, just so you know, this, this was what I, what I was talking about in, in the gospel, in, the, in, in, you know, in, in part one. <clears throat> I brought you to that point. But now I want to just rewind and just play that last scene again and then what happened after that last scene. And that's the second account, this gospel of, or this, the book of Acts. The Acts, sometimes called Acts of the Apostles, but it's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the apostles in the early church. In verse 1, it says what he began to do. Uh, he, he leaves it hanging there. Like, like, didn't he do it? No, he, he began. He, he started something that, that is, is continuing today. That's why I say it's the ongoing story. It, it continues. He began something. He's, he started something, and it's, it's still rolling, Theophilus. I want you to know as he writes this decades later. It says in verse 3, the first part, to the same apostles, he also, after his suffering, that is, his death on the cross, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. This is a, a significant piece, right? Luke wants you and I to know, as we read this, that what happened Easter weekend, cross, burial, resurrection, was life-changing. And after Jesus is not found in the tomb, he is found all over the place by multiple people. And, and it's, it's like, wow. And this is the, the, the foundation of our faith, a risen Savior. Many convincing proofs. So let me just explain this to you, maybe in, in, in pictures that, that you could kind of resonate with. The first picture I'll show you here is this, right? What is this? Loch Ness. You guys have seen this picture. I grew up looking at this picture. That's Loch Ness Monster. Or 
it's a log or it's someone sticking their finger out of the water or I don't know what it is. It's a grainy picture of something in water, but it's Loch Ness. It's the, the dreaded beast of the Scottish Highlands that, that lurks in the depths of that lake, Loch Ness monster. Now, if you were to build your whole belief in the Loch Ness around this grainy image, it's a little bit skeptical, right? Like, well, does he exist? I don't know. Like, you tell me. Or maybe you've seen the second picture here. Who's that? Sasquatch, right? I mean, I, I, these, these were all around me growing up in BC, right? I, but then I realized, oh no, those aren't Sasquatch, Sasquatch, those are hippies, but there they are, you know. <laughs> and uh, now, the problem today is that we have Photoshop. Oh, sorry, 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 we'll get there. We have Photoshop, right? So, like, what is that? Like, you know, he kind of looks familiar, doesn't he? <laughs> but, you know, like, would you build a, 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 a faith, a belief around that picture? Now, here, here's the next picture, of course is, um, what is that? It's the Ogopogo, right? Like, this is just down the street from where I grew up. Now, we have our own version in Salmon Arm, where, where my hometown, the Shushwagi, you know, which is this, you know, nefarious beast that, that you know, lives in the milfoil in the bottom of, of Shushwap and here in the Okanagan Lake. I mean, would you build a whole belief system around that grainy image of some log or, you know, something, you know, capsized boat? Who knows what it is, but it's, it's the Ogopogo. Or like the next picture here, right? Sasquatch is riding Nessie. See, like they're, they're, in, they're in cahoots against us. They're trying to make a mock of us out, you know. And, but we all know, we all know that in Tibet there is a monster that exists, because we've all seen them. See, there's the next picture, here we go. See, we all know this guy, right? <laughs> there you go, right? So, you get it, right? I've belabored the point. We're not dealing with grainy images. You know, 3 a.m. UFO sightings here. We're not dealing with, with speculative stories. Uh, we have multiple eyewitnesses who saw together the person of Jesus Christ. Many convincing proofs. It could also be translated incontrovertible evidence. It's there. Looks like... I Luke wasn't there, but he's talked to these eyewitnesses. He's like, I, I've talked to so many of them that, like, he picks the strongest word he could possibly find in the Greek language to, to describe the fact that this proof is so compelling. And the story continues. In the latter part of verse 3, he says, He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. So, so here's a picture, right? I mean, they, they saw him. Like, like broad daylight. Multiple people at one time seeing the same face. Not some shadow in the mist of Loch Ness. You know, it's, it's, it's not some, some, you know, log floating on the surface of the Okanagan. Like, like, there he is, Jesus. They touched him. Here's the next picture, right? I, I, you know, it's kind of a gory picture. I'm sorry, but uh, there they are. Thomas, look at me. Here I am. Feel me. I am real. In the Gospel of John, it recounts the story of Thomas. He's touching his hands inside. Then, of course, there's another picture here. Uh, he's eating with them. 
He does things that only a person can do. It's the same person. They're touching him. They're, they're eating with him. They're, they're, they're talking to him. I mean, he's real. He rose from the dead. And they were convinced. And he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? I mean, he preached about it in the Gospels, right? The kingdom of heaven is among you. The kingdom of God is here. Like, well, what does that mean? I mean, we don't live in kingdoms. We, we don't always understand those, that terminology because we, you know, we live in democracies and we think you know, that we, we can impact what's happening around us by voting, et cetera, et cetera, and ex, you know, our constitutional rights and our freedoms, yada, yada. In a kingdom, the king rules supreme. And you as his subjects do what the king says. And Jesus introduces himself as the king over the world and says, follow me, trust me, believe in me. Or follow whatever other kingdom you are currently in. That's your options. Me or whatever else you're doing. But I'm presenting to you, Jesus would say in the Gospels, a different version of life. But it involves you coming all in with me and moving forward as my disciple, as my follower, as a learner underneath me. And I retain absolute authority over you, kingdom authority. The reality about Jesus is that he comes as king and and he presents himself and says, follow me, and some line up to follow him. Others reject him. Why? Because he begins to step into their own personal kingdoms, their own personal authority, and it it becomes irritating to them. And so they're like, ah, we don't like Jesus. Let's get rid of Jesus. Today we live under the authority of Jesus. Um, There's more to the kingdom than that, though. But we, the followers of Jesus, still recognize that he is the supreme king. And so there are occasions throughout history and and, and ongoing into the future where the followers of Jesus Christ must choose allegiance to Christ over whatever any other authority tells them to do because he is the supreme king in their lives. Do you understand that? Men and women are being imprisoned and even martyred today because they continue to follow the king because they live under his authority. But of course, we look ahead and there's this reality, I think of, we call kingdom reality, where, where the king actually comes and establishes a kingdom. Like, and he's reigning invisible power and might. We look ahead to that. And he'll allude to that at the end of this ch- chapter. But, but we, right now we live under authority, but we look ahead to reality because we know the king is returning. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to honor those who respected his, his authority up to the, the point of reality. And, and, and he'll bring them into the kingdom with him. And those that rejected him will be judged and, and face the, the judgment and, and the consequences of, of rejecting his kingship. But he's speaking about the kingdom of God probably rehashing the sermons he taught them before. Do you remember I talked about that on the Mount? Remember on the Mount, all of us, I was talking about this and this, the sheep and the goats. I mean, he's probably just helping them to understand everything else he had taught them. He's like, do you guys, do you guys get it here? I'm the king. I died, I rose again. I'm going up, but, but I'm, I'm gonna come back. But in the meantime, the story continues. Did they understand what Jesus was saying? No. We're all a bit dull times when it comes to spiritual matters especially we want a savior all of us we want a fireman to pull us out of the burning building right Um, but do we want a king 
Do we want a leader? Someone who's going to come and tell us what to do? Not necessarily. But unless he's the perfect leader, unless he's a leader unlike any other leader in the history of this world, then he is a leader worth following. Well, the story continues in verses 4 and 5. It says, while he was with them, he declared, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so here he is. He's like, you know, this is what's going to happen. There's something you need. God's promised this. You will receive it. So just wait till you get that because this is going to change everything. And when God makes a promise, he keeps his promises. This is a promise, a free promise given without solicitation. He is going to provide for you. I call this kingdom provision. You know, he's, he's like, look, there's something you need in order to, to live in my kingdom and to function and to continue this story. And the Father promised it, and so just wait until you get it. And so in verse 6, they're gathered together. It says, so when they had gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? I mean, did they get what he was talking about when he talked about the kingdom of God? Obviously not. You see, there was this idea, especially in the book of Daniel, which talks about the, the kingdoms that are going to be, you know, and then it talks about this final kingdom where the, where the Son of Man comes and, and, and judges and, and establishes this, this everlasting rule of righteousness. And, and so they're like, is this it? I mean, you died. You rose again. We've seen you in, you know, incontrovertible truths, you know, uh, uh, compelling truths. Now is this, is this the moment? Are we going to Jerusalem? Are you going to kick out the Romans? Are we going to establish the everlasting kingdom now? They, they're still thinking politically. Uh, pragmatically. They're thinking just in terms of, of what they seem, seem to think the problem is in the world. It, it's called what I call kingdom confusion. So, some Christians today have this. Where, where they think that political activism can change the world. And I don't, you should be politically active, but understand, without a transformation of the heart, no amount of political activism can change the world. Or social justice can change the world. Well, social justice needs to be grounded in the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it doesn't bring lasting change. Talk to a social worker that's been doing it for decades, and you'll meet someone usually that's depressed, a bit hollow, because no matter how hard they tried, nothing changed. Talk to someone in law enforcement. I mean, they deal with the darkness of, of life all around us every day, and, and there's just like this, this hardness. It's so hard because you're like, is there any good in the world? You wonder. The more learning and education we have, the more confused we get. Kingdom confusion. If we just all embrace this same ideology, whether it be environmentalism, capitalism, social. I mean, name your ism, and you think, that'll change the world. No, 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 it doesn't change the world. We need a king. We need a leader, and we need a transformation of the heart. But there's this kingdom confusion. For them, they're like, it's a political reality. We need to just change the political scope of Israel, and that will change the world. And he's like, you're missing the point, guys. Verse 7, he says, he told them, you are not permitted to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. 
People were asking me during COVID, like, is this the end times, right? You know, what, what's happening, right? Is, is Putin Gog? And is this Magog? <laughs> what's going on? Out, you know, and all these people, are, is, this, is, this, is this it? Is Christ coming? I'm like, yeah, maybe. Maybe not. I, I can't tell you because throughout history, Christians have always felt like, man, he's just kind of over the hill, isn't he? Is he, is he on the way? I mean, we've, we've always had this longing, this eschatological, this, this end times longing for Jesus to return and clean up the mess, you know, and here they are, and, and Jesus is like, it's not for you to know. Did you ever have your parents tell you that when you were a kid? You know, you, you started asking questions about some conversation they were having. Elisa and I say this to our kids sometimes. Like, this is not, an, this, you're not part of this adult conversation. It's not for you to know. Now put your earplugs in and let us continue our conversation. You know, that, that's the reality. He's like, this is not your business. This is God's business. He's got this figured out. He uses these two terms, right? Time, this chronological time, and, and then critical event time. He's like, the, the chronolo chronology of world events and those critical moments are all in God's hands. It's not for you to worry about. And sometimes we get sucked into that. I, if that's you, I just encourage you to hear the words of Christ. It's not for you to know. God's got that. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to freak out about it. You don't need to become obsessed with it. He has control over that. In fact, he says, just leave that alone. Let me deal with that. I got that. I call this uh, kingdom clarification. The king will look after the end. Not our job. Even some churches, I think, in, in movements misinterpreted Matthew 24. It says, if you preach the gospel to everyone, then Jesus comes. And maybe you heard that growing up if you grew up in the church where it's like, we can control the return of Christ by just getting sure that everyone hears it. That's not what Jesus was saying in Matthew 24. That's a, a confused interpretation. We don't control that. In Matthew 24, I think he's speaking to Jews in the middle of the tribulation period. He's like, yeah, when, when you get to this point, you know that the end is, is near. But he's not speaking to us saying, if you just make sure everyone hears the gospel, boom, all of a sudden the formula hits and Jesus returns. That's not the way it works. Acts 1-7 makes that very clear. Not for you to know. You are not permitted. I mean, Jesus would say in Luke even, the Son of Man doesn't even know. The Father has that, 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 that time, that, that critical moment in his eternal plan. So don't worry about that. There is a, there's a phase of your Christian growth where you'll become enamored with the end times. And that's okay. Like, there's a lot in the Bible about that. But just grow through it. And, and the, the most important thing is that are you living as though he could return tomorrow? Is there anything in your life that's not, that you got business to look after? Because if Jesus showed up and found you doing what you're doing, you'd be embarrassed. Sin or things that you haven't dealt with, if the thing, you know, things you're supposed to obey, you didn't obey. I mean, it's time to clean up that and, and just live as though he can return tomorrow. Well, I was going to give. I was going to volunteer. I was going to do more. I was going to you know, open my home up. But I, I don't have time. I don't you know, make excuses. And then Jesus shows up. You have time for everything else. You have time to watch, you know, reality TV. You have time to, you know, do this and time to do that. But you never had time for me. The king is returning. And so here in Acts 1.8, he, he gets to the point here. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses. And he says, in Jerusalem, 
in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. He's like, you know, don't talk about the end times. Look, look here, here's my focus. You are going to receive something. The very power of God. The same word Luke uses, or the gospel writers use to describe what happens when Jesus performs miracles. You're going to receive this dynamic, divine power in your life. And that power is not going to produce, you know, crazy, uh, outrageous manifestations, although at times, you know, amazing things happen in the church. But, but really, it's, it's a power for you to share your story. Because when you have this power, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to tell this story not here in, in this city, in this province, in the neighboring provinces, and even to the ends of the earth. The story continues. Do you, do you see the big change here? If you read through your Bible, you understand in the Old Testament, everyone came into Jerusalem. You wanted to encounter the living God, you came and, and you worshiped in Jerusalem. Uh, God-fearing Gentiles could come and, and experience God on, on the outer courts of the temple. Uh, you came into Jerusalem. It was centripetal. You, you came in from the outside. It was an epicenter uh, of experiencing the creator and covenant God. You had to come to Jerusalem. And now that Jesus has died and risen from the grave, he's like, it's no longer centripetal. You don't come in. Now you go out. You start at home. You start in your region. You go to the neighboring regions. And, and, then you, and then you go everywhere that there is someone who lives and breathes that hasn't heard this message. For decades, this, this mobilized the, the church. And there's been points in our history as a church, as churches, I'm speaking across the world and pursuing North America, where we just felt this compelling drive to send people. The Moravians had it figured out. They're like, hey, five people work and one person goes. We all support that guy, right? And they just, this is so important that, we, that, that the ones that, that can't go are working hard to send the ones that can. Men and women were compelled by their kin to abandon whatever personal plans they had to embrace this. I call this the Kingdom Commission. How does the story of Jesus Christ continue today? It's because he gives his followers the Holy Spirit. As he, as he ascends to heaven, now he's no longer physically stuck in one location on earth, but now he can send the Holy Spirit, who is omnipresent, who today, this morning, in millions of lives across the world, he is dwelling he has manifested himself in the corporate worship of every nation, tribe, language where his name is proclaimed and believed. Powerful. So Jesus, the story of Jesus continues in the, in the lives and through the lives of his followers as they share their story. Now, there are men and women who are evangelists. Like they are given this commission to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. But everyone is, is given this opportunity to tell their story, to be my witnesses. What has God done in your life? No one can take that away from you. You have a story to tell. And maybe today's the day you're going to begin that story where it says, you know what? 
May 1st, I believed in Jesus Christ. And my story with him began. And then we, we bring you into the baptism tank where you make a public declaration of what happened inside your heart and you declare, yeah, the old person is dead. I'm risen in life with Jesus Christ and I'm moving forward. And so we, we love to hear those testimonies of baptism, but, but you have a story to tell. The story that starts here in the first century continues today in your life because you have encountered the risen Christ. And the commission is for you and for me to continue to tell the story. You're like, I just, I'm afraid. What am I going to say? How am I going to do this? Well, that's why he's given you the power to do it. You know, power. You know, some of you know power, right? It's, it's like, you know, it's working out to get power, right? In certain contexts, you dress for success, right? You put on your power suit or your power shirt, you know, and you're, you know, sometimes when I have to go to the school, I'll put on some power clothes so that, you know, when I face the principal, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm looking you eye to eye here. I'm not, you know, some guy showing up in pajama pants. Like, here we are, we're, we're going, you know, and, and this is the power moment here. I was in Russia several times and would preach. For North Americans, when we travel, we think we are really doing a great blessing to churches across the world, but to the person sitting in the pew listening to a translated sermon, it's not easy. Like, it's hard. My, my Russian friends have been honest to me. Like, yeah, you know, it's not easy to listen to a translation. You know, we think, oh, we're giving a great sermon, you know, and anyway. So I know that I am really hindered when I preach through a translator. But on multiple occasions, almost every trip, I'll be preaching at a church. And at the end of the service, someone will come up and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm like, how did that happen? Because I don't think my sermon was that good, especially through the translator. I mean, it is the power of God and his Holy Spirit working in that person's heart that brings that transformation. I was like, wow, and I'm, I just feel like I'm a pawn in this, in this whole scheme of God's plan. And I'm like, there's no way that my sermon you know, could have done that. It was only the power of God working through me and this, this translator. Feebly, we're presenting the truth, and God's Spirit grips their heart. And Your coworker your hostile family member, your neighbor, who just doesn't love God, doesn't think there's any value in this, the Holy Spirit can get a hold of them and begin to just gnaw away at their control center as you tell your story. It's the kingdom commission. And then in verse 9, he continues. He says, after he said these things, while they were watching, he was lifted high, up, up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were going, staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. I mean, there he goes. And they're standing. And they're staring, of course, I mean, well, I mean, wow, you know, and they're just gawking, sky gawking, and, and the angels show up, and like, guys, what are you doing? Get moving. I love worshiping God. I love, you know, just learning, reading, and meditating, but there's a point when you just got to quit gawking and get moving. I talk about this kingdom consummation, right? He's like, he's coming back. And, and in the meantime, he's given you the, the marching orders really clear. 
It's not vague. It's not foggy. This is what you're supposed to be doing until he returns. Be his witnesses in your home area, in the region in which you live, the surrounding regions, and to every corner on the earth where there is someone breathing who hasn't heard about Jesus. Get moving. The danger at times with being a Christian is that you get so comfortable just, just sky-gazing. Oh, yeah. And we forget that there's action required here. The action is you letting your story be told as Christ transforms your life. As people begin to ask you, what is going on in your life? Well, let me tell you who's made a difference in my life. And it gives you that opportunity, right? Peter says, look, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that you have. How can you be positive in, in this world climate? How can you have any optimism? Well, it's because my optimism is not built on anything in this world. It's built on Jesus. And you begin to show them something different. Kingdom consummation. So what next? Three things. So, you know, if you haven't accepted Jesus, this is the great first step for everyone. As we move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ, first of all, you need to accept Jesus. You need to believe that Christ died on the cross, rose again for your sins. And in, when, in accepting Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Understand, you were given this gift. He dwells in you. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there seems to be this, this potentiality that you can allow the Holy Spirit to have access to more and more parts of your life as you surrender yourself to God. Some people like Jesus, like the Savior, but the Spirit wants to come in and wants to fill your life and produce Christ-likeness in you. Number three, embrace the mission and fulfill your destiny. It's like, I just chose that terminology because I think a lot of what we do doesn't produce any lasting change in anyone. You have to have a job. You have to pay your bills. You got to pay your mortgage. You got to, I mean, life is life. I get it, insurance, this blah, blah, blah. That is life. We are stuck in this world. But there is more that God invites you to participate in. Imagine some of you could volunteer every Sunday next year and invest in a group of kids week in, week out, and see them grow in their faith. Or you can come and join Pastor Elijah's team, and you can disciple a group of teenagers and watch their faith blossom and grow as you invest weekly, not once every six weeks, not occasional, you know, pastors by in the night, but say, no, no I'm going to, or maybe, maybe you could lead a life group where you are growing together and helping a group of people embrace the mission of God and, and stimulate one another's faith and then go out and share the truth. Imagine what could happen as you begin to let the king call the shots in your life. The story continues. And for some odd reason, God chooses people like you and me to carry this torch. None of us perfect. All of us having made mistakes. Uh, imperfect, you know, with fear and insecurities and all these things. And yet God, through his Holy Spirit, works through us flawed individuals to build his kingdom here in Lloydminster, in our regions and across this world. Are you available to him today?
would you give him greater access to your life? And, and trust that, that, that he can do things in you that you can never do in yourself? He promises the power. He gives you the marching orders. And watch what he can do. The other things you do in life are good. You need to have a good job. You need to work well and, and honor God by being a good employee. But the real, real business happens when you jump into the kingdom activity. So work hard so that you can have the time and the money to do kingdom stuff. And you'll see God do something in and through your life that you never imagined possible. Fulfill your destiny. Team is going to come up and, and prepare to lead a, a closing song. And You have a story to tell. Think about someone this week that you could tell your story to. If you haven't believed in Jesus Christ today, I invite you to receive Christ as your Savior and to begin that life in the kingdom following Jesus day in, day out. Um, would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and the team's going to lead us in a song, but let's, let's pray as, as the team prepares to lead us in this closing song. Father, we thank you for this wonderful story of Jesus Christ. He died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he's returning. Oh, King, would we be attentive to the opportunities that you bring into our lives this week? I pray for your courage and your power in every life here that we would share our story and the story of what you've done in our lives as you give us opportunities this week and this month. We pray, Lord, for those places that have never heard, that you would send someone, send men, send women, send teams to share the gospel to those that have never heard, to the very ends of the earth, that they too could discover the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to have our college students back for the summer. Just welcome all of you. And um, this is going to be a good, good year. And, and I think that God's going to work through each of you as you allow his spirit to, to, to just fill your life and you're available to him. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us this week. Give us the power to do the things that you have called us to do to be your people, to love each other, to share Jesus with those that need him. And so I commit your church family to you now. Send them, O Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, everybody said, amen. God bless you.